0: No. <sighs> We now know what happened to Jacob Wetterling, but the whereabouts of dozens of other Minnesota children still remain a mystery. 19-year-old Susan Swedell disappeared from Lake Elmo 29 years ago this week.
1: This has never been a closed case.
0: It's been a nightmare.
1: It was a snowy night, only about a 15-minute ride.
2: It's like she fell off the face of the earth.
1: There there isn't a day that goes
3: by that that they don't think about Susan. I,
0: I think in Susan's case, somebody knows something. Welcome to the still missing podcast. I'm your host, Kareth Annert
3: we were <laughs> We were nerds um, <laughs> we weren't we were definitely not part of the popular crowd um especially in junior high. We stayed pretty close together when when Sue moved back into Lake Elmo after she had um after she moved in with her mom, and she and her sister moved in with her mom, and I were really happy because it meant that we could walk to her house and we could hang out. And, and, um, but we stayed pretty close. Sue, Sue didn't have a lot of friends. She had a, a couple of fairly close friends. but um,
0: Meet one of Susan's two best friends from junior high and high school. She mentions that Susan and Susan's sister, Christine, had moved back to Lake Emma with their mom. We've known that their parents had divorced at some point, and in talking with Christine, we also know that of course it was a very difficult time. But as with most times in life, what struck me here is that where there is darkness, there can also be light. Despite that the family had split, Susan was now closer in proximity to her two best friends and able to create priceless memories with them that she may have otherwise not been able to. Her best friend's comment also made me thoughtful about Christine and Susan's father.
2: With our family, it was a combination of things. You know, it's a lot of people don't know what to say. So a lot of people just don't say anything. And that's how some people cope. For mom and I, that was heartbreaking. So um, it's been mom and I pretty much dredged, you know, going through this by ourselves. So... a lot of lines of communication off or down because of Sue's disappearance and not knowing how to, you know, everybody has their way of coping and um, that was their way of coping. They just didn't know what to say. And again, a lot of people don't know what to say. And some of my best friends don't know. So um, it's not that they don't care. It's just, but that silence is really, really, really a nightmare for Mom and I. So it's just another one. I've also been meaning to ask you,
4: and if you don't want to talk about this, that's totally fine. I was just curious, so was your dad around or, because nothing has ever really been much said about him and whether he was involved in looking for her and things like
2: that. Well, he was part of the, I would say, the family that didn't know what to say, so they don't say anything at all. That would be pretty much the whole family. They just, I think, you know, my, I don't know what to say about him. He, he's a Vietnam vet, and he went through a lot, and he may have been, I don't know. He's been just, We Sue and I were never close to him, so there wasn't, you know, I mean, I told you about, divorce and everything. And it was a really rough divorce on Sue and I. And, um you know, that's why we were closer when everything was going wrong around us. That's why Sue and I just had that more tighter bond. But no, it just, it, it just goes with the family. It's not any different from cousins and everything else. I mean, not really. I mean, as a father, you would think he'd come forward and and everything. But I just I really think that people just don't know what to say. So they don't do anything and say anything. And it's very hurtful. Mom and I have done everything we possibly can to this point. But again, Susan and I were not close to our dad. So you, most of my friends don't even think I have a dad because I never talk about him because he just wasn't he wasn't there when we needed him. So, you know, it's just one of those dads. So a lot of people unfortunately have fathers like that. So it sounds like
4: coupled with the fact that some people were responding to the situation with silence just simply out of not knowing what yeah. to say. And Oh um,
2: yeah. And that can be that can be friends that we've had for ever. And, you know, that have known her, you know, since she was born, they just don't know what to say. What people don't realize is sometimes if you say something and it could be the wrong thing, it's better than nothing. You know, it's just, it's the silence is just, it hasn't helped to me at all. And it certainly hasn't. Um, there's been a lot of physical issues that her and I have gone through, some that have been major, and we can't do this by ourselves. And up when Sue will be, that loss of Sue is just, you know, that many times more. Again, like I said, my mom's aging, and I don't want to be the only
0: one. One thing I wanted to mention in particular about that last clip the clip was recorded prior to the walk for Susan that the Washtenaw County Sheriff's Office held on January 20th at Maplewood Mall. What I have learned since then is that Christine's cousins did show up for the walk. Christina said that actions speak louder than words, and she was very pleased to see them.
3: You know, we didn't party. We weren't. Uh, we weren't the kind of girls who would, you know, be out on the weekends at a club or or partying or you know we didn't certainly didn't smoke so that thing about the smoke in her apartment I I can't imagine that was her
4: and so it sounds like to you the person who going to the bumpers club and the chat lines is much different than the high school sue that you knew
3: well well you know you you were asking me earlier about her and and well, I feel awkward answering these questions because after listening to your podcast, it sounds like it almost sounds like we're talking about two different people. The Sue I knew in high school was very quiet, and she didn't have a lot of friends, which was, you know, why she hung out with me. <laughs> I certainly was not popular. Uh, she was definitely not with a popular crowd. Uh, I don't think she was bullied so much as she was ignored. I, I never observed anybody bullying her, but, but I just think people just didn't know her. She had quiet, nerdy friends who didn't party and didn't go to dance clubs or smoke.
4: You had mentioned she was really active in church. Was that like she was going, that was a big part of her life, though. correct? Well,
3: yeah, I mean, it was it was a big part of all of our, our lives, the three of us. Um, there was school and church and, you know, occasional movie at the mall. And then you know once once i was 16 and i was working too so school church job and 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 she was kind of the same way and i'm actually shocked to hear about these episodes of her clubbing at bumpers and calling chat lines and 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 seeing a stripper gosh and i would have freaked out if we'd known about that this just doesn't sound like her at all to me we did drift apart after high school and i guess she really must have taken some different directions after that Or she was rebelling. I I don't know. But the Sue I knew was a quiet, sweet, very shy girl who who liked silly inside jokes, uh, was very close to her little sister. She liked to listen to records at home. She sang at church, um, you know.
4: What um, Can you describe for me how you remember what Susan looked like?
3: Small, petite, Always very neatly dressed. She had dark blonde hair. Um, I do remember sometimes she, at one point, I think it was strawberry blonde, but or dark blonde. She usually wore it curled.
0: And what
4: types of things do you remember that Susan liked to do? You've mentioned a few. What, what other things do you
3: remember? Well, she loved records and watching movies and music videos. Uh, She was in the Michael Jackson, Prince and the Bangles. And I remember for a long time her favorite song was Manic Monday. I remember when she first heard it. The next day she was singing it on the bus all the way to school. Um, I saw Michael Jackson's Thriller video for the first time at her house. And, you know, there wasn't a lot to do in Lake Elmo in the 80s. Sue liked bell choir and singing in our church musicals. She was in Christ Lutheran's production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And she and used to come to my house and pretend we were a band. played piano, I played guitar, and I think we usually put Sue on drums. Our drum set consisted of an old pair of bongos and a snare drum that eventually got taken away by my mom. And then I guess one of the other things we used to do was we pretended we were on the radio, because I had a little cassette player a little tape recorder. And um, we would make we would make cassette tapes of ourselves singing silly songs, like versions of Joseph with the lyrics changed. Uh, Sue and I were a pretty close-knit trio of nerdy goofiness. Uh, I guess I would call us the goofball trio.
4: What were some of your favorite memories of Susan? Um, what things do you remember doing with her?
3: Well, I, I, I actually... Okay, so I wrote a couple of these down... <laughs> Uh, One of my favorite memories was the time that Sue and I accidentally ended up in the Stillwater Lumberjack Days Parade. Now, if I remember correctly, her mom was going to drive Sue, Chrissy, and me up to Marine for ice cream. Because that was a thing we did in those days in the summer. You drive up to the town of Marine; They had an ice cream shop up there. During Lumberjack Days, which is Stillwater's big town festival, and um, we're in this old car of her mom's. And somehow we took a wrong turn on the wrong street and we found ourselves smack dab in the middle of the big Main street parade in this old beat up car right there, right in there with all the floats. So, So Sue and Chrissy and I just kind of looked at each other and rolled down the windows and started waving at everybody on the street as if we meant to be there. That is really funny. <laughs> it is funny. I don't know why I'm crying right now. I'm sorry, but we, at the time, it, we just, you yeah, we thought it was really funny.
4: You just had joined the parade. Yeah, we're like,
3: here we are. <laughs> I mean, what else were we going to do?
4: Well, yeah, it sounds like you guys played it off really well with the waving.
3: <laughs> mm, give me a moment here. Okay. Oh, so here's another one of the memories I was thinking of. Um, I remember when I got Sue I got her first job, okay, I was washing dishes at the Lake Elmo Inn, and this was in the 10th grade. We're both in the 10th grade, and uh, we're both 16, and my boss asked me to recruit a friend to help me. And But when Sue and I worked together in the kitchen, we were constantly joking with each other. And there were some things that we thought were hysterically funny that nobody else in the kitchen understood. And one night, we were both laughing so hard and had to do with the barbecue rib bones that were coming back from the dining room. And for some reason, I thought they resembled a certain pop singer that I liked, Don't Even ask. And we were laughing so much over this that the owner threatened to separate us and schedule us for different shifts if we couldn't get together. And and I remember this night. I mean, we started dancing these rib bones around on the plate, and then we were tossing them, and then they're flying all over the place. And and finally, the owner of the restaurant comes over to me. He comes over to both of us. He says, now, I want you two to be able to work together. I don't want to have to to schedule you for separate shifts, <laughs> But <laughs> so that was one of my memories. And then I I also remember I remember the night that Sue and, and I saw Footloose at the Maplewood Mall Theater. And then we all came back to my house afterwards. It was nighttime. It was dark and we danced around in the backyard by the sheep barn behind my house and and just singing the main song from the movie. You know, foot loose, foot loose, kick off your Sunday. You know, we're singing it and dancing. That's one of my memories. And uh, I also wanted to make a note. Oh, since I saw the I saw the article in the Pioneer Press and I saw they were calling her a Simon and Garfunkel fan. I need to set the record straight on that. No pun intended. Um, I was the one who was nuts about Simon and Garfunkel, and I talked about them constantly as if everybody should like them because, of course, they were so great. And Sue went along with it for a while until one day at a church retreat, and we were we were on a hike at this church retreat, <laughs> Sue and I, and she finally spoke up and said, you know, I don't like Simon and Garfunkel. And I was, of course, I was totally shocked. And I was like, but, but, but they're so good. And she's like, I don't care. I don't like their songs. And I I think it stands out for me because it was one of the times I remember Sue kind of standing up and asserting herself. You know, even to us. (laughs) She'd had enough of my going on and being a fangirl about, you know, music a generation before our time.
4: Was she so? When you say that that you remember that distinctly because she stood up for herself, was she normally pretty much like go with the flow, like what other people are doing? Um, Very you know? much,
3: and 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 I in particular, if there was something I was interested in, I would talk about it like, well, we should all be into this, you know. I would sort of force my way that that way, and then, you know, Sue finally was like, well, you know. <laughs> So I, I, I actually respected her for doing that.
4: <laughs> Were you friends with her at the time that she went missing?
3: Sadly, we had drifted apart after high school. Um, in fact, the, the goofball trio was pretty much over by the 12th grade because went to Spain for her senior year. And uh, I was working at after school almost every day, and I was in several different clubs, and um, after graduation, I went to Gustavus, and Sue went to River Falls. But I did see her a couple times the summer after our freshman year of college. I met her boyfriend, and we went to River Fest with a couple of his friends that summer and saw Hart. But uh, we never called or wrote each other. And I was surprised listening to the podcast to learn that she had dropped out of River Falls. I hadn't known that. If we had had social media back then, we would have kept more in touch. In in fact, that that heart concert might have it might have been the last time I saw her. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if I saw her again after that. I mean, there was I re- there was at least once or twice she and she and <laughs> were at my house. I, I lived I lived in an old farmstead, and we had all these outbuildings, and there was a a big old garage with a loading dock because the previous owner had a semi. And, and we used it as a stage. And, and Sue and I, at that summer, were like, we're going to make a band. We're going to start a band. I was the only person who played an instrument. Well, she did play handbell. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was like the last time I saw her.
4: So at that concert, the you said it was a river fest and you played mm-hmm. King Hart. Do you remember her being the same way that you always remembered her or yeah. did she Yeah, I
3: didn't I didn't notice anything strange. And I and I liked her boyfriend. I thought he seemed like an all right guy and I was like I was kinda glad that they were going out because it was like, Yeah, Sue, good for you, you know? Um I thought you know, he wasn't my type but um but I I seemed like a decent dude. We had a great time at the concert. We met up with a couple of his friends in town. When we got to Riverfest it was a huge crowd and we were kind of way in the back and at first we Sue and I couldn't see the stage very well. And said, You know what? Let's 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 get closer to the front. Well how can we do that? And we talked about it and then kinda of put his fist in the air and said, We're going to the front and we all kinda of grabbed hands and we all there were like maybe five of us and we dove underneath the bleacher seats And we soldier crawled, I'm not kidding you, we we soldier crawled through the dirt underneath the bleacher seats at Riverfest, underneath everybody's legs, until we made it up to the second row, and we got to see most of the concert from the second row. It, it, It was an awesome experience.
0: Do you know what one of the things I like about Susan? One of the many things I've heard about her consistently is that she liked music. We also hear from her high school best friend, as we've heard before, that something must have changed between high school and the summer, fall, and winter of 1987, where she was going to dance clubs and talking on chat lines. This seems out of character to her high school best friend. It's possible Susan is just getting older, her interests changing, desires shifting. Maybe she's gaining confidence. I'm not really sure. Because in high school, it sounds like she was an endearing, quiet, quote-unquote, nerd who liked to laugh with her best friends, the goofball trio. And another consistent theme we hear once again is that Susan was naive and trusting. What exactly does this mean to us? Was she susceptible to getting in the car during a blizzard with car trouble with just about anyone?
1: One of his M.O.s was to meet, uh, he met some people, some, some of his victims, at least one, I should say, at a um, Walmart store. And that's where our, you know, our Susan was taken from. And the other another issue with him is he was a mechanic. He loved working on cars. And uh, I told you, I think, before that Susan's car had been tampered with. It was kind of a unique way of tampering with it that I think the average guy... Would not have thought of. And one of the other things that was uh, a, a characteristic of uh, Larry Hall is anytime he takes somebody, abducts somebody, one of his big things was to make sure that there was no identification that they had that they could possibly leave in his vehicle. So in other words, if they had driver's licenses or something like that, he got rid of them, left them in their vehicle or just threw them out. So if he ever did get stopped, they couldn't the cops couldn't say, well, whose you know, license is this or whatever, and that's what he did. And Susan's license was left in the vehicle.
4: Were you ever able to talk to Larry Hoddle?
1: No, I never went down there. I did get some other information on him and that, and he has not been cooperative, although, you know, things could change. His brother, Gary, I think they're twins was helping other law enforcement agencies for a while. I have not followed up on that and and I could, but you know, you and I would be glad to go down there and talk to him. I mean, it absolutely would be, uh, but you know, finances become an issue and stuff. And whether I call down there and identify myself as a private investigator or a guy still working this case and, you know, law enforcement generally would say, yeah, you know what, uh, you had your shot at it or whatever, uh, send somebody down that's presently in law enforcement. But I think that the sheriff out there in Washington County would allow me to do that or at least go with his guy or whatever, because I definitely have more in my head than what they could possibly have on, on paper. Is Larry
3: um,
4: Hall here in Minnesota, or is he the Arizona
1: guy? Nope. Nope, he's not in Arizona. He is in Illinois, I think, or uh, I think Illinois, I'm not sure.
4: Do you know if he used to live here in
1: Minnesota or No, he didn't used to live here, but um he did some traveling. That's what that's what he did. He had a van and it was a it was a kill van, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he had everything in there to take care of the job that he was wanted to do, um as far as abductions. One of his big things was he was into Civil War reenactments and um, reenactments I mean he did the he even did some movies where they in in the background they were doing civil war stuff, and that's what happens with those guys. There's a bunch of people that do that, and that particularly down in the south and you know Carolinas and illinois uh but uh that's what he'd do so he'd travel all over the place, just going to civil war places, you know and uh Look at the history and that, and of course Minnesota was. We had a lot of stuff here from the Civil War, and you go out to Fort Snelling and that—that's some pretty significant stuff out there. And so, did he have a reason to come up here? Yeah, he could have come up here, and and uh, he might have been up here, and he might have been the one talking to Susan. I don't know. I mean, it's it's probably far-reaching, but then again, it could be right on the balls. You know, I mean, one thing that uh, I learned. A long time ago in law enforcement, and that is that uh, sometimes it's, a, it's the farthest possibility you can think of that is actually going to give you the biggest clue. You got to, you know, you're going to be saying, "Ah, eh, no way, that's, I mean, that's reaching pretty far." And then when you get there, you're going, "Holy smokes, wow, this, this all makes sense now." You know, I mean, you you, you struck on something.
4: So you were talking earlier about when you, about what what you remember about hearing about her disappearance. When do you recall hearing about her disappearance, and what do you recall hearing about it?
3: So apparently my my memory isn't real good about that because for the past thirty years I thought I remembered that she had disappeared during Christmas break, right before Christmas, and that my mom told me about it when I came home after finals. And so just recently listening to the podcast that I learned that she had disappeared on January 19th. And if that's the case, I had to have been back on campus, so my mom must have called me to tell me. So I I don't remember all the details of that. But I do remember at the time worrying about how trusting Sue could be and that she didn't always have a good sense about people and situations. And I also remember that she was sometimes kind of intrigued by older guys and anybody would pay her attention. So I I immediately suspected foul play. I did not think for a moment that she had run away unless some guy had tricked her into going with him. And I remember thinking it was strange that the police never talked at all to me or two people who had known her pretty well over the years, because I would have told them that it was unlikely that Sue had run away.
4: And you were talking about earlier about the the lack of publicity and how it just... It, it really wasn't out there, even around like Elmo.
3: Oh, there was talk in like Elmo, but I mean, it wasn't like in the news. I mean, there was talk at church.
4: Do you? Were, what were people's thoughts at church about, in terms of like, was it? What did she run away? Did people at church have thoughts about what her, what how her disappearance came to be? Did people suspect foul play?
3: If they, if you know, at at that point, I wasn't going to church there anymore because I was I was in St. Peter. And then um, sometime, my, my sophomore year or something, at some point, my parents left that church and they moved to the Stillwater Church. So, you know, I lost contact with that church. What thoughts do you
4: have of Susan today?
3: Mostly just a sinking in my heart when I think about her. Um, she She was close to her sister, and I believe she would have contacted her by now if she could. Sue was innocent and trusting, and I think she was starved for affection, and somebody out there saw her as easy prey.
0: So much that we are learning about Susan and the aftermath of her disappearance seems to be about silence, invisibility, and being forgotten. People, or the law making the worst or the easiest assumption of her character. But the most important thing I have seen is that her family and Jesse have never given up on the possibility of discovering the truth. I challenge myself to think of Susan as though she was my own sister, my own daughter, or my own family member. Susan was a 19-year-old girl who liked music, dancing. She was quiet, shy, but silly, innocent, and captivating to those who knew her. She was growing up, possibly making decisions she didn't completely understand or seemed out of character. She actually sounds quite normal to me. At 19 years old, I recall making some questionable decisions. Do you? Just
2: because she was 19, we were pretty much on our own on doing things. So we made our own posters. We um, put them all over Stillwater, Lake Elmo, you know, and then we would see them being taken down at times and then we put them right back up again. And it was very hard to get coverage, um, because she was 19. And, you know, it's great that it's fantastic that the kids get out there now. But I mean, back then, if you were 19, you're just invisible. There's why you're not hearing about it. So it was devastating for mom and I. I mean, one year difference and you're just supposed to know what you're doing. But so we made our own posters and, you know, we waited a couple years, um, to move just because I was, it was just really hard on me to be on that, in that house by myself when my mom was working. So a couple years later we moved, but we had the people, you know, that went, that took the house, make sure that They were always on the alert if Sue came back or something like that. We had made arrangements for that, but as we came into the cities, then we matched up with Missing Children, Minnesota, and Carol Watson was very, the director was, took us right under her wing and got posters established, and then eventually Spotlight on Crime um, was able to put up a $25,000 reward for her, which you know, was great, but again it didn't go anywhere. It just her cases, you know, just keeps on going between you know, flying between the cracks. It just never gets what it should always have been. So so right. then at one time we were um we had a private investigator and Just going on the thought that if she was a runaway, if possible, I mean, everybody's thinking she's a runaway. We do not think she's a runaway, but the private investigator said, well, if she was, we need to go to the uptown area. So mom and I would set the alarm clock till around um, 11 o'clock at night. we go down the uptown area and hang out with the private investigator and just search for her. But, you know, that doesn't... Everybody knows a cop when they see it, so, of course, that didn't go over very well, but we tried everything we could. And why did he um,
4: Why did he suggest the uptown area? What specifically about that area was the line of cause, thinking?
2: Because there was a lot of runaways in that area. Um, okay. That was the hangout, but because he acted like a cop, you know, even if he was... And just regular clothes, everybody had the signal out, and um, you know the radar is up that you know this guy's a cop, and you know nobody would come into the restaurant that we were in, or just you know if people are just asking on the road about uh, doing everything, it just puts everybody's radar up, and we weren't getting anywhere with that, so um, that just kind of fell apart.
0: But how many 19-year-olds? Regardless of those decisions, how many end up missing and ignored for 30 years? I also wonder to myself, are we looking for an anomaly? The 30-year-old runaway who just never surfaced? The serial killer? Was this human trafficking? Or are we looking for that local guy, living, breathing in an apartment still in close proximity? Or just some guy who worked with her who knew her just well enough? Maybe some guy who met her at bumpers. Someone she was dating. I don't really know. But I question the timeline of the car trouble, especially in combination with Susan's consistent description of being naive. There is a listener who has done extensive research on the theory of the car trouble, and we will be sharing that next episode. Is there anything else that
4: you want to share or say in
3: remembering Susan? Ah. Only that I I feel bittersweet about how our Stillwater High School class of 86 has been holding her in remembrance. Uh, The sentiments are very kind and caring, but I also remember how much Sue struggled with loneliness and unpopularity when she was in school. And only now does her face appear in our senior class videos. You know, I want everybody to know that Sue was a beautiful, kind, gentle person who would have been a good friend to many of her classmates if they had reached out to her.
0: Someone recently asked me whether I actually thought this case could be solved. My answer to that is unequivocally yes. But I do not believe I can solve this case alone. Is it solvable? Absolutely. Does a cold case require a miracle? And my answer to that is simple only if you believe a person speaking up is a miracle. If you know anything about what happened to Susan Swaddell, or anything that could be relevant, please speak up and contact the Washington County Sheriff Department's tip line at 651-430-7850. Additionally, please help get Susan's story out there by going to Facebook.com. Slash Still Missing podcast and share the post with Susan's photo in it. Next time on Still Missing.
1: Yeah, yeah, you your regulars. Um, it was probably over half regulars there.
0: Thank you for listening to Still Missing. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have suggestions for how to make the podcast better, please email us at hello at stillmissingpodcast.com.